to another episode of Three Wise DMs, the podcast with three dungeon masters. I've been doing this for <laughs> way too long. Talk about all the things we do to try to make our games as good as they can be. I'm Thorne, and I'm joined by... Tony. Hit me with your best shot! Why don't you hit me with your best shot? Hit me with your best shot! Fire away! Little Pat Benatar Woo. starts the podcast. Fucking Pat, dude. She is so badass. That is, of course, our rock and roll DM, DM Dave, singing Pat Benatar, hit me with your best shot. Oh, Nice job, man. Yes, she's so badass. I wish I could have told my ninth grade self that one day that would have made it into my Dungeons and Dragons podcast. I would have been so <laughs> pleased. I gotta say, I really think like I'm I'm coming full circle to my my teenage years, you know, <laughs> through this work here. This is really this is we are embra- we are cathartic. embracing our second childhoods. Yeah, well, it is very cathartic <laughs> for me. You know? <laughs> but that song also makes a lot of sense because any DM who has ever DM'd a fifth edition party knows that. You're basically getting hit with all their best shots from range where your monsters probably cannot reach them. Fighting a fighting a fifth edition party can often be like running your running through the sky during a fireworks show as they just fire at you from long range again and again and again. Which brings us to today's question, which is actually brought to us by a listener by Pan. Pan, thank you very much. And Pan asks, I've been a DM for three-ish years now, recently finished a campaign that lasted around two years. Great job. We are looking to start another campaign, and the party composition currently looks like a Navy SEAL sniper team. No tank and lots of range. I personally love the idea, but I'm really interested to hear your ideas on things like firearms and Fantasy 5e. The fighter has one, as well as how you build an encounter that has you fighting enemies over 100 feet away. Side note, big thanks for making this podcast. It's been great listening to it while I work, and a huge help to me and hopefully my players if I can get them booked. <laughs> and thank you very much. We're really glad you're enjoying the podcast. This gives us a chance to talk about 5e party combat composition because it is nothing like what it used to be in the old days like i remember talking to scott our uh our, our kind of kind of one of our old school players he's been playing since 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 white box white box and he was saying they used to think the ideal party composition was like four frontline fighters one wizard one cleric and like maybe one or two range guys party and that balance. was it you wanted your front line and then you wanted your back line you wanted your blockers then you wanted your 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 uh your quarterbacks lobbing the ball forward. Well, and, if, and you needed a thief because a party without a thief. a thief was literally useless. I remember just as a this the quickest aside ever. But after our first game, I want to say when he came in as has been when we were still playing over at Lorraine's house, um, we were leaving and he was like, "Yeah, I think we really need like a th- I think we really need a thief." Because, like, he was so in that, like, mentality, like, the old school. That was like, a thing. If you like, didn't have yeah. a thief, dude, you were dead in the water. Like, That's anyway. absolutely correct. So, well, were... you know, you didn't need a thief if you had enough fighters to run into the traps in front of you. <laughs> just take the, the rake to the face. Just, <laughs> just you know, you just, just hire some hirelings. You know, bring your squires and your NPCs and your sidekicks and just have them walk first. See what happens. Oh, God, wow. If you want to do two Mahars and try to do that with the one E dynamic, go for it. There is no, oh, I spot hidden anything. That's not how it worked. <laughs> you need those thieves tools. They were priceless. <laughs> 
But now in fifth edition, like you don't even need them. Well, they're useful. Don't get me wrong. But in fifth edition, you can spot. Uh, you can spot it. Anyone can spot a trap. Yep. You know, it's just a it's just a perception check, really. And most yeah. anybody can uh, can disarm it too if they have a skill, if they have these tools, if they have a good roll, right? Yeah. And also if the DM if if they're playing like that. But that is generally the the rule set as it stands currently. Yeah, and when it comes to combat itself, yeah, I've certainly found like I've mostly played people who could play characters who could fight from range, or at least had reach. And, and in like in the case case of my bugbear, very long reach. <laughs> <laughs> Your polearm attacks are effectively coming from range because you could stand a safe fifteen feet away and just just, just swing away. Borderline um, plasticity powers there. Yeah, like Mr. Fantastic, <laughs> the samurai, <laughs> Reed Richards. Have you ever wondered? Yeah. Right there. We've had several parties where there was only one frontline fighter or only one frontline character. Yeah. Uh, Woodstock yeah. Wanderers isn't. Woodstock Wanderers has two, three if you count the bard, who's a, who's who's a, who plays with a rapier mostly. Yeah. Well, he's a he's um, a school of uh, combat uh, or the of valor, uh, right? valor. Yeah, valor bard. In the Curse of Strahd game, we have there's two, two out of six. Yeah. Two out of six. I mean, yeah, Woodstock Wanderers, it's like two out of, I think, six again, or six or seven. Seven, I think. So I guess it's two and a half out of seven. Storm so Kings, we had two out of five. because we well, Storm had, Kings, uh, we really had one because I was the bugbear. And so we basically had one person holding point, me playing sweeper to, to, to control the battlefield and cut off anyone who, who got around the uh, barbarian. Yeah. And then everyone else playing from range. Yeah. So like that was a little bit of a like that was almost like it was like playing like a one one three, <laughs> right? But it was the what I, my my point there was with at least even with Zhang aside from some of his skill with being able to stop people up, it was still like a an effect where melee fighters melee monsters could get you, and I think that's really what we're gonna come into right now as we discuss it yeah. is so many of the monsters are just so melee based, um and. That really sucks if you got SEAL Team 6 rolling down on you because, you know, especially if they're set up in a way like my one in the Brothers Chen um, campaign that it was Chris running me and Matt through. And uh, I had taken the Assassin. Build. Thank you. Jesus Christ. I got you, bud. Assassin subclass. Yes. Uh, And, oh, my God, some of the skills and abilities out of that dude if i had the chance to set myself up you were gone like i one shotted <laughs> a lot of shit because things become immediate critical hits you you know you can hit before anyone oh, else wrong. does if they haven't gone in combat all kinds of stuff that really can get out of hand yeah, <laughs> yeah the I'm ones are gonna critical hit every round yeah i'm over here climbing the back wall and like getting point up while they, you know, distract and then I just fire death from above, you know. You're basically not even in the fight. You're just there to cherry pick kills. Oh, my God. Yeah, it was true. Oh, yeah, it was very Hawkeye-like, you know, <laughs> just up in the nest. So so really, Zhang the Bugbear is the only melee-focused character I had. And like I said, even him, because the um, Battlemaster, yeah. he had the thing where if he hit someone, he could almost always trip them or frighten them. Yeah. So he never had to. He very seldom had to sit there did, and get in combat and get hit. Because also, very few things in fifth edition have fifteen foot reach. Did he have a uh, sentinel two to allow him not, to stop people up? He did not have sentinel. But okay. He had polearm master, but he didn't have sentinel because he had his, the tactics he had. So he didn't. You don't need sentinel if you can just scare them and they can't come any closer to you. Right. 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 Or you can trip them and their movement immediately immediately drops to zero. 
So like that's like that's the thing. It's like I, I thought about taking Sentinel on that guy, and I'm like I don't need it because <laughs> I have Polar Master, which I do it's need. That, gives that 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 incoming extra attack. attack. But also with you know with, with the fear effect, like I mean, so everyone I hit, there were some rounds where I go out there and hit four people and scare them all, and okay, now none of them can walk forward. And all of the ranged fighters and our all the ranged yeah, attackers in our party can just tee off because they can't come any closer. To my whole argument with stun and things huh? blowing their saves, yeah. Because <laughs> <laughs> shit blew its saves like you know you you open another beer. I mean seriously, it was all game long. This guy's scared, that creature's scared, everybody's scared to death. Like well, I did was, have a maximized. I mean, I, I I had as high of a saving throw DC as I could get. You know, it's not like I was trying to make it easy on you. But well, yeah, but in five E, you know, if you're that creature or individual doesn't have prof in that stat, they're going to bomb it unless it's an incredibly easy check. That's just how it works. Yep. And, yeah, because the uh, dice are just gonna roll. They're gonna roll poorly some of the times. It's just gonna happen. So. It was Jang. So the reason I took the trip effect and the fear effect was because. You basically you trip the smart guys and you because the trip is like a strength saving throw and you scare the you scare the big guys because that was a wisdom save. Yeah, that that's like four E tactics. I mean, it's, it, it's funny, really actually, tried and true. As I think about it in almost all of the 5e games that I have played up to this point, except the very uh, except with Bonnie's family where I was a paladin. Outside of that, I've played either spellcasters or range people. I haven't really played around yet with a you know toe to toe fighting class. Even with our tomb game, yeah. I mean, I know Pan asked about firearms, and we're playing with them yep. with uh, Roosevelt, the Gift Ranger. So I'm just firing shit. I'm getting up on my just like I did with the brothers Chen, right? I'm just climb. Can I climb on that rock? Uh, yeah, sure. Okay, I climb on that rock. And then the elephant gun is going off, you know. Well, and, I, and then and then my character in that game is the artificer, who yes. again is fighting from range, uh, sometimes closer range. But I'm almost always actually like we've started pulling this trick, and if this doesn't work, don't tell us. I don't want to stop doing it. But I make the kind of <laughs> tiny with legs and have it just crawl up on top of the guy in the front row, and it just sits on his shoulder and breathes fire. Yeah, so the you're uh, the artillerist side, and yeah, so you're firing from range in two different angles, you know, yep. in the same range, round, yeah. area effect. And I'm giving, and I'm giving the gift, the, the, the gift gunner, the, the gift ranger, yeah. uh, heating Re- shot on that, on that elephant. One gun. more round, one more, one more level. That is one more level. And I got it, baby. Yeah, I got it. Cause I ignore the reloading property too. Cause I have gunner as one of my, Oh, then you won't need too. repeating shot. I won't, I won't. Well, you'll, you'll, you'll lose the plus one, but hey, I don't mind taking it. Also, but I've got the same thing kind of going on where I think one more level, I get my arcane firearm. So then mm. it makes sense to trade out my crossbow for the, the arcane firearm, basically a wand that gives you extra damage on whatever yeah. you pass through it. Yeah. So then then the the, dam, the, the, the the math works out differently, and it makes more sense for me to just cast spells, even just hand trips, than it does for me to fire a uh, crossbow. Because so far that character, that's Dixie, the the Boom Goblin, he's been he's been double fisting with a uh, cro- well, not double fisting, but he's had a light crossbow and he's had his Eldritch Cannon. We actually Shot- we have played with a lot of range though. We so, do. Yeah. Anyway. When I think this, I think it's the mechanics of 5e because like I'm thinking about Woodstock Wanderers and twice Woodstock Wanderers have basically decimated dragons. Just because they could see them for like one round or two rounds as they closed in, and the, like the dragon, like you were saying, Dave, a lot of the monsters in 5e are very melee focused. Well, a dragon's breath weapon, the ones I was playing with, were only like 30 feet or 50 feet or 60 feet. You got to get pretty close, yeah. Yeah, like, yeah. and now we've talked about I could have played it a little differently, 
But I'll tell you what, like the dragon just trying to close close enough to get off a breath weapon was taking enough damage to be killed, at least as he was leaving the scene. So you take 300 damage as you approach. Just, it's just like, like <laughs> it's like Fourth of July up there. They're just firing rockets and fireballs and lightning bolts and just. I mean, that's fifth edition combat in a lot of cases. So, you know, when okay, I know we haven't really gotten anything in Pan's question. Yeah, right. yeah, we should really get the Pan's question. I think. Well, I mean, we paid his tithe. You know, yeah. I mean, it was, it was solid. But actually, Tony, we haven't heard from you much. I mean, what do you think? Do you, do you think this is, can you run 5e combat without a, without a frontline fighter or with very few of them? You can. And I think the question here is, how do you want to challenge the players? And this doesn't even necessarily entirely run into combat because these different characters have different skills. So this affects the challenges you throw at them. Um, do you want to throw a soft pitch at them? A nice low armor class couple of monsters out there they could all you know showcase their awesome abilities and blow to pieces with their ranged abilities or are you going to things which are their kryptonite for example what's range guys kryptonite area effect there we huh. go just start yep. dropping those fireballs back because you know what plenty of low-level spells relatively speaking like lightning bolt a personal favorite has a hundred foot range so that dragon's a hundred freaking feet away bang um and that works both ways now you get into situations where Things like co- like cover play into effect very uh, much so. You like you have a much larger map, but you know if that's really becoming troublesome for yourself as the DM, you don't have to put all those monsters all that distance away. It doesn't always work like that. Tony, that's exactly what yeah. I was just th- the first thing I wrote down was environment and terrain because yeah. good luck. You know I go I'm thinking like. Everyone's probably watched the Marvel uh, Netflix series, like Daredevil, those ones, or at least a lot of people. Have you guys watched them? So, like, the hallmark of every single, all four different, five different with the Punisher series, right? Hallway fight. Every fucking time they're coming down a hallway fighting 72 dudes as dudes are jumping out of the door, right? It's hallway fight every single time. New York City to nutshell. So good luck, you know, you're in town, you're in a dungeon, and you're in a fucking hallway. Cool, you got SEAL Team 6. Meanwhile, you got a five-foot square to move through, right? Like, so your environment and your terrain immediately, not everything is an open, you know, like the old school two armies lining up side by side in the Pelennor fields, you know? Yeah. Well, and that becomes kind of the crux of the question. So, um, you know, to get to Pan's questions here, uh, number one was... What do we think about firearms and Fantasy 5e? Uh, I think we, I like it. Uh, I, I've used them. I have no problem with them. Again, I'm an artificer. I think they're great. Uh, I Also, I will throw out there from a historical point of view, given the level of technology throughout the game, firearms are 100% historically accurate. By the time you have full plate armor, you have firearms and even arquebuses, even like personal firearms in play, and at least in Earth history. So, yeah, I don't really see any reason not to allow firearms. I don't know, do either of you guys disagree with that? No, they're fine. They used to make them, honestly, very underpowered, in my opinion, in the previous editions. They're actually, yeah, they're not super powerful in this edition, but they are like one die bigger than your uh, than, than the crossbow and, and bow equivalents. But you know? even with that, too, as we did with, uh, with Tomb of Annihilation, because it's the first time that we've really played with firearms in a in a character build like campaign long, right? Because I started Roosevelt being like, I want him to have a rifle, right? I want him to have the big stick. And Chris agreed, you know, we talked it out. We had our kind of session zero thing. And I was very open to whatever he, I said, I want to use a firearm. Like, so I'm going to do that, but I will absolutely let you cordon me off. 
So he said, okay, well, like, you just kind of built this one. It's it's like a eh one. So we're going to just start with a normal die, like heavy crossbow-wise. Yeah. As I level up, at that point, as the power curve changes, then it's not a problem to open up that extra damage die or even more because at that point I'll probably have magic. I already have magical stuff imbued upon it because of some of the blessings we've gotten from some of the spirits. On well, the repeating shock, is it plus one and you don't and need that. Yeah, and then he also gave us this this blessing that we got, right, when we visited the one area in Schultz. So, so yeah, so once that power curve goes, at that point, you open it up. But I think firearms are fun as hell, you know? I mean, and, yeah, like you said, Thorin, very, like, you're talking a world of, like, this high-level fantasy and stuff. Like, come on, you can't let the guy have a musket, you know? That's unbelievable. Yeah. Well, it's not actually so. Historically speaking, you don't quite get muskets. But you get a lot of the other stuff at the time of war. Yeah. No, you guys not rolling out an AR-15, right? No, yeah, at, no. you know, not no, at no, level also, one at least. Muskets you know, that's at least tend to come tier. right at the tail end of armor and are part of moving away from armor because mm. you start getting pike and shot. I'm getting really geeky, but you start getting pike and shot formations and pike and shot formations. Number one, you get the infantry revolution. Infantry gets a lot bigger. Cavalry gets a lot less important with pikes and shot and large infantry because you can't really, it's hard for cavalry to break the square, at least in, in, in Western Europe in Poland and stuff. It, 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 and when you have in places where you have big wide open planes, they still play a big role, but yeah, it's like, you know, the, the guns that are in the player's handbook are pretty much historically accurate to be in a campaign with full, you know, with, with, with half plate and full plate and field plate and breastplates. The only exception to that is the antimatter rifle. That is the only one that's a little yes. bit. Uh, that thing. Yeah, that's, that's the only one that's a little that's outside of, you know, the medieval fantasy role. That's all, you know, but that's fine. That is that is not a firearm. That is that is, that is an alien technology. And if you're introducing that, we'll, we'll bring on the uh, elithids and the beholders and all the other the gith and gith yankee. Yeah, that's the kind of stuff you slide into a campaign that's is great about it because it's canon, and it keeps you from taking anything too seriously. Where it's like, ah, oh, well, you know, they didn't really do this or have that. Here's your antimatter rifle. Here we go. Runs with pistols. <laughs> oh, oh yeah, that's right. We're playing D and D. Never mind. Thank yeah. you. Well, it actually has been a lot of fun in the campaign where you let us have one, you know, and you just, you just limit the ammunition. So, mm -hmm. yeah, I think it's fair to say we're all pro firearm and fantasy D&D &D 5e. Yeah, there's some people make an argument against it. We have people at our table who don't want to use them and would rather not have them in the game. But it's not, at least at least from our, from my point of view and I think all of our points of view, it's fine. And I mean, really, when you talk about it being one die roll bigger, realize you're talking about it averages one more point of damage per shot. It's not. Yeah. You know, like it's it's never going to be as big a difference as the as the strength and magic bonuses they get to their they get to their damage. Like it's always it's it's, it's going to be pretty small. That's a good. Point. And if you're in a world where you have artificers and warforged running around, there's going to be elements of technology to speak. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, that's a really good point, Tony. I mean, most of the artificers' skills are things that would absolutely be able to build. I mean, hell, Thorne's artillerist literally builds a fucking cannon. So. Yeah, the idea that, like, you know, normal Joe couldn't figure out how to do a flintlock, you know, I mean, come on. There, there is, they do leave a back door if you don't want to include firearms, and in that the cannons technically works magically. Like, so the cannon doesn't consume gunpowder or gasoline or anything. It is a, mag it is a yeah, magical weapon. That. So it's a firearm that uses magic now. They could be. I mean, I'm just saying, there's, there is a door. Like, if you don't want firearms in your game, there are plenty of plenty of doors for you to close off. Yeah, no, you can, you can. But no, we're. I think we're all pretty big fans overall. So, and that brings us to the uh, to the next question: is how would we build encounters 
if you're fighting enemies over 100 feet away. And the guys have already touched on this, which yes. is you're going to have some encounters where that are over 100 feet away. I will tell you when I've run those and had like enemies sprinting towards the party and the party could just sit there and pot shot them. It's kind of boring. Like it's not just because it's just they're kind of like extra surprise rounds that just take forever. That's been my experience. Uh, I didn't run into it with any Woodstock Wanderers games, but I did run into it with the other campaign that was in that same world where I had goblins on wargs running at the party from like three from like from basically like a football field away and realizing that it's a turn after turn after turn to one at a time shoot these goblins. And like yeah. set aside for a second that you're going to kill the goblins pretty quickly. It's also just boring. Like, we had the same exact thing in the first uh, game of Slaver's Bay, Thor, where I had you guys in the pits, and we realized very quickly that the whole starting from two sides of the arena and all it sounds cool cinematically, and then you're just like, okay, so I'm going to dash, I guess. Yeah. And then I mean, somebody else could fire a bow, whatever, and then the the frontline fighters, the melee fighters, I'll, um, yeah, I'm, I'm going to dash again. Because I got about four rounds of dashing to get across this fucking arena, right? Like, <laughs> Now, it's one of those things where I would probably still do that on occasion because, hey, they have a bunch of firearms and we'll give them a chance to use them. Give them some sniping opportunities. Let them use that to their advantage if they're all an all-firearm party. But you're not going to want every fight to be that way. Maybe one in four, you know. Otherwise, you do still want to be able to get people next to them to fight them. You want to you want monsters to be able to fight them in melee range just because that puts more pressure on the party. The party shouldn't be able to stand back safely at range in every fight. You know, you should make them have to do some thinking and have to do some scrambling. And, you know, someone have to be you know, figure out, OK, how do I deal with shooting someone who's right next to me? Which is, yeah, you probably take crossbow expert. But things like that, I think I think that's. You know, you want to every so often you can have a fight where they're able to use sniping to their advantage. Every so often you have a fight where they just have like forever to shoot guys running at them. But a lot of the other times use terrain to the enemy, to the other guy's advantage, use kind of constraining the battlefield. So you can have a little more interactive fight than just, you know, the party just picking people off at 100 yards every time. I think that's absolutely correct because that becomes very stale and you don't want, you know, the players to be in a situation where they expect to like, Hey, where's my three free rounds of range? What's up with this? You know, because <laughs> that, 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 that's not what you want. Uh, and I would absolutely do encounters where they would get that because you should let them showcase their build. As you said, they made it range characters. I would never be like, Oh, I'm sorry. Every monster's point blank. Womp womp. That sucks, too. But I would certainly keep those encounters uh, very diverse. And I would probably sell like a like if I had like a lot of distance between them, I would like to do a scenario, for example, make something make it more interesting, some spice like they're in a position which a large amount of creatures is charging. So if they're unable to pick off the a, a certain number of these creatures, they're done. Not they're gonna pick off ninety percent of them and then just you know knock out their survivors because that's no fun. No, you're still gonna have a fight, but if you fail to take out a large portion of them, you're done when they get there. That puts a nice amount of tension. So they got to take advantage of their range ability, and then you had an up close and personal battle when the monsters arrive. One thing I would do if you were gonna do that though is I would kind of try to put the monster hit points low enough where one shot usually kills them. Because if you're in that kind of like, you know, zombie horde charging at me situation, you want to be able to headshot a bunch of dudes. 
that's what makes it fun, right? Yeah, yeah you want to be able to walk, up, like, go like, through swaths of them, you know, through like it's almost minion style, you know, but yeah. with actual hit points, you know. Or you just make a couple really big monsters that have a ton of hit points and are hard to get through their hide, and same deal, you know. Yeah. You know, the giant's running towards you. You're shooting at them and falling back, but they're moving faster than you are. You know, can you stop, Can you kill them before they get to you? Uh, back to the, the point surrounding challenge. I mean, that really does change what is the kryptonite of the party. Are you a bunch of squishy guys who could throw out some really sharp hits? But if one of those monsters gets a hold of you, you're effed. Maybe not yeah. entirely put out, but you're, you can be seriously hit by one really clean hit. That really changes up how you do the threat if you don't have you mean do you need a blocker it would probably help i mean really truly i mean i i wouldn't advise going out there with with nobody well, who's prepared to dance with uh that big monster well, hell, but, think about as as powerful as they both are in a ranged capacity but roderick from storm kings and then rose our rogue in the curse of strahd campaign both can unload some serious stuff from far away and then anyone that catches them in melee will kill them really, really fucking quickly because yeah. they're both so weak in their constitutions, you know? That, that's just the nature of any of the, the strikers, really. I mean, you know, Phineas has a lot of tricks up his sleeve, but if you manage to catch him flat-footed, he'd probably drop. Yeah. Well, I first mean, time you do that, he is teleporting away. Yeah, second he, time, second time you're probably going to get him. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, he's pulled that many times where he almost got cream, but he was able to pop out with his evocation. Ooh, um, dragon multi-attack coming at me. Okay, what's the qual do? Great. I, I teleport away and turn invisible. In this way, uh, in the same way, though, Thor, like Tony was just talking about, you did this in Woodstock uh, when we were leaving Quickster's lair after he had led us to literally, like, you know, 2,000 miles away, the other side of the globe, wherever the fuck we were in the Nameless Forest, right? And we exit to where the temple is, and we meet up with the Grungs. And what was happening there was there were multiples of them, but they were also boxing us in. They were coming from various angles, so we couldn't just pop, pop, pop them away because you have to get the ones coming in on your flank to the left and to the right on your blind sides. Um, so that was also a way where it was wide open terrain, but... We did not feel like we could just, and we were a heavy range party. We couldn't just knock them away, you know? Yeah. Well, I think, um, and one of the things that happens there, and this is actually something else we should mention about another kind of encounter you want to include here. There's also a lot of fun in having the ranged party meet a bigger ranged party, mm. you know, which is kind of what that Grung encounter was like, because the Grungs had bows, had bows with poison arrows. They were a legitimate threat. There were a lot of them. And yeah, the party's shooting at them, but the Grung are shooting back. And there's an, and there's like, you know, 25 grung there. And that is, they are doing significant damage to the party. I don't know if there's 25, maybe 20 or 15. Or, there was enough, though, where even though the party were in a firefight and they were mostly a ranged party, they were still in, in serious oh, jeopardy. There were multiples of the party. Yeah. <laughs> However much we had in the party, there were multiples of that for the grungs because we were coming in on their turf, you know. Yeah. Well, I mean, you're rolling up to their home. So, I mean, exactly. it's a case where... Whenever you're rolling up to a humanoid lair that, you know, it's fairly populous because uh, there's a lot of food in that area. Well, whenever you're doing that, you know, you're going to face a lot of enemies. And if those yeah. enemies have bows themselves, that can be a very dangerous encounter, no matter how how range eccentric you are. You know, another thing we haven't talked about is the impact of, you know, we talked about terrain. But if you think about D&D, &D, what percentage of your game happens in a dungeon exactly. or a castle? 
or in a stronghold or in some place where you just don't have a lot of room. Because that in itself kind of helps redefine the fight, too. Like, there's not a lot of 300-foot shooting ranges in a dungeon. No, that, that's very true. And I think your your map should be diverse. It's got to spice it up, keep it interesting, don't ever stick it to. Like, this is every battle. Every battle you're going to be fought is in a 40 by 40 cube because that's kind of boring. When you're doing situations where you have, like, you're that, that one big monster that everybody's going to get, like, you know, 100 feet worth of shots on, these monsters, especially if they're intelligent like a dragon— uh, you know, I, I I would throw in some things like maybe the dragon's invisible. It's moving up, and then, you know, then it drops its cloak and blasts everybody. Like and a Romulan like, warbird. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> it, 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 it fires, uh, you know, that breath weapon once it gets right in range. And because that's, you know, because they're, they're like, oh, I'm going to fly it far away. I'm a nice big target. Everybody, please shoot me. You know, um, well, it's funny how much worse this works than it did in fourth edition. Because in 4th edition, we had a lot of melee fighters, and the dragon could just swoop away and swoop in and breath weapon you and swoop away. In 5th edition, this is not working at all. 4th <laughs> edition had some ridiculous things with, with movement. Like, there was that one joke where my party was fighting this haunted carriage, and that thing just kept running them over, and then running them over, and then running them over, and then running them over, and they couldn't stop it. And it was just so ridiculous. <laughs> It's like something from Young Frankenstein or something. <laughs> right? That'd be uh, worthy of Mel Brooks. Yeah. Uh, but then again, on the flip side of that, you had, ironically, the tank wasn't super important in 5E or 4E. It really wasn't. That was probably, I can't really speak with any true authority on 30 because I only played it in the video games. I never played in that campaign for that. But 4E, like I was Marcus the Fighter in my in the first campaign for that. Uh, that I played, aside from when I was a wizard Cassidus for in Thorns game, and I was this powerful tank, great resilience, and I was slow as shit, got to every battle, like, five parts of the initiative too late, and everybody's in position, blasting the friggin' monster, and I'm like, hey guys, I'm here, let me move in front of it, now that it just, like, bit Steve's leg off. You know, that is actually one of the things that's a little bit overlooked. If you have an all-range party and they can all shoot from round one, great. If you have a mostly-range party yeah. with, like, one melee guy, it gets to be a real pain in the ass if they got to run up to every monster. So you got to keep that in mind because you can really wind up in a situation where, okay, you're doing a lot of far-away engagements, and your ranged characters are great. They love it. But you're like your fighter is like or your melee fighter, your barbarian is like just trucking up to the to the enemy and he doesn't get there until like turn five. And that's no fun for that character. Of course, it is also if you ever really want to annoy your paladins, or your barbarians, having them keep having to run around walls. It's a good way to do it. But, you know, that's evil DM speaking. <laughs> I will never play a character ever again with any type of movement penalty for precisely that reason. You're like, I'll give you plus two to your armor class, but minus 10 to your... No, I'm not interested. Nope. <laughs> Don't care. I well, don't you care see how cool that flavor is. Yeah, you see that currently in, in some of our games. Because a lot of times when we have the battle, we'll put out the battle map, and we're going gridded, you know? And we're doing five feet movement and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, the dwarf, the gnome, the halfling characters, where they have that you know, minus five, minus 10, like it really adds up, you know, and they're like, okay, I'm almost to them. So I could dash and then just be right in their face and give them my chin to hit, or I could, you know. So yeah, you do see that also with uh, with, with 5e too. 
if I had a lecturium for every time one of those fighters got like with an inch of there and couldn't engage, I'd have like a couple platinum at this point. Yeah. And then everybody asked if they could just throw the sword. Just let me do it already. (laughs) (laughs) That's rough. Well, it's like I actually um, the first encounter with Ara Kang that the Woodstock Wanderers had. That was the Arakoker monk NPC enemy they were fighting. He was able to put up walls, these tentacle walls, and then he was able to fly up above them. So you know, a couple a couple of the melee fighters, a couple of the melee characters would get close up the corner of him, and he just stunned them with his monk stunning attacks, or, or he actually had mobility. So as long as he attacked them with a melee attack. He could get away, and they couldn't opportunity attack him. He'd flip over the wall, and now there they go, spending their whole next turn trying to run around the wall to get to him. And he'd flip over another wall. Like, it, it's it's not very much fun for the characters to have to do that. So don't do that unless you really want to. Piss well, there's them. yeah, that's that would be where I would get that using using tools and tricks like that with your train is excellent until you've done it one too many times, and then it turns from, oh man, I'm gonna fucking kill this guy. And they're like, okay, fuck this. I'm done. You know, like, yeah, and and that can switch pretty quickly. I will say, uh, as of this podcast recording, Art Kang is fucking dead, though, so... We Satisfied, killed Darth Vader. Right? Yep. Didn't that feel good? Yeah. <laughs> like, take one. another paper cut. Another paper cut! <laughs> another one! I will wear you down. He didn't use the uh, the walls this time because you because you guys were in good standing now with uh, with Gadanapa who was parading his walls, so he didn't use those. He used his other tricks like uh, you know global vulnerability and stuff. Yeah, and yeah, the party stuff, did yeah. the party did finally find a way to take him out. They figured out spells that got through his that got through his bullshit, and they finally finally whittled him down and killed him. And then we had to immediately retreat. <laughs> we were trapped. Yeah, no, I've got like three spells left, and most of them suck. Like sensu beans. We need sensu beans. Yeah, sensu beans because yeah, that that was that was a rough fight. But yeah, there's all kinds of ways that you can allow, as we were saying, because you know people want to be able to use the toy box. They want to be able to show off their cool abilities. They want to be able to use them. They just chose them. They want to try it out. I just got this with my new level up. Holy crap, can you see what this does? It goes 120 feet. And then if they never get to do that, that's going to suck. But then it's also going to suck if that's all they're ever going to do, because they will get bored of, well, I guess I'll Eldritch Blast them. You know, Eldritch Blast is awesome, but every warlock is going to be like, okay, I want to use my other stuff, though, too. So I guess I'll Eldritch Blast, but I really want to use this, you know. You do have enough other cool stuff as a warlock, though, that you have a lot of flexibility. You do, you do. You just got to make sure you take it. Yeah. Yeah, I know that was at one point with my warlock with Phineas where I was like, all right, I got all these movement powers and all these kind of emotional manipulation powers and we're in a fight. And the only good thing I had to do is Eldritch Blast. And I'm like, all right, as soon as I level up, we're fixing this shit. <laughs> we need more offensive spells. I'm talking with the gentleman. <laughs> we got to we got to sit Hunger down. Hunger of Hadar. Yeah, there we, we go. This is the time. Yeah, no, I was definitely a fan of those AOE effects. I think that if you're doing battle map. That's how you really get to, either you're doing a really precise direct strike that does a shit ton of damage like the rogue sneak attack or you throw out that AOE blast that just covers a lot of damage on a bunch of targets. And that's fantastic. That's the secret sauce. So one of the things I think we should probably talk about here is I've known DMs who would feel like they had to pressure the party into adding more frontline fighters or adding more different characters to adjust the to, to make sure they were a little more balanced. Do you guys think you got to do that? Like, if you had a party who was coming in with all ranged characters, would you step in and say, hey, can one of you guys play a fighter or a barbarian? Negative. Uh, if that's what you really want to do, then great. Session zero, 
You'd be like, hey, guys, you know, just a public service announcement. All of you have glass jaws. So <laughs> we're, we're clear. You may want to, you know what? You want me to do my infamous? You want to do the sidekick? You want me to do my infamous DMPC, NPC character, who's going to be like Nick the Fighter? Great. I got you. But that that's where we're at. And if you don't, that's fine, too. But you've been informed. More like Nick Please the do. Damage Soak. Right? <laughs> Nick, Nick, the hip, Nick the Hit Point Repository. All right? What, what is his skill? High con. <laughs> yeah, no. I, uh, yeah, absolutely. I agree with Tony. I would not uh, – I wouldn't, I wouldn't make him choose this or that or anything like that. I mean, you can always talk about that. But in all the campaigns I've done, uh, people have come up with what they've come up with. And in the end, I kind of try to remember that it's a game – so what's the worst that happens? They get wiped, yeah. let's say, maybe. And then, as we've talked about many times, there is nothing but story there. I mean, my Rhyme of the Frostmaiden group is a perfect example. I have Bonnie's character is a barbarian who, out, let's say you rolled two high stats, right? You got two really hot numbers to use. One of them she put in strength, good. The other one she put in intelligence, so, you know, now there's story reasons. There's story reasons. These tactics <laughs> confuse me. But, but that's but see, that's the beauty of it. Right. And then I got I have a gnome druid. I have a uh, uh, two clerics and a sorcerer. This is not a heavy frontline party. Right. It's not even it's not always even a heavy ranged party either. But what it is, is a super fun party. And they have a lot of fun. They get to do their stuff. And that goes against our own advice, too, about, like, steering new players towards certain classes because of some of the difficulties with some classes. And that's great advice until you don't use it. And if it still works and you're having fun, then you're on the right track, you know. But, yeah, I I, I wouldn't have a problem if somebody wants to come in all ranged party. Let's see how this works. I'm still waiting for the all wizard party, you know. (laughs) I'm accepted. Yeah, I mean, why not, right? I'll be a sorcerer this time. Go for it. You know, one of the things that's interesting about 5e2 is that any class you pick, like, you can be an all-ranged party and still have plenty of ways to hold your own in melee combat. So, for instance, Phineas has the trick where he does the, where, where he can pop out and disappear yeah. and reappear. I forget what it's called, uh, uh, Fae Escape or something. Um, Isn't it yeah, Fae Step? Fae Step. Um, it's, no, it's um, not Fae Step. Or Misty Escape, excuse me. Face step right. is the spell, and that's not a reaction. I don't think he has the one that is a reaction. It's, it's an it's a warlock ability. We can basically face step in response to taking damage. So like that is one trick he uses. But if I wanted him to be more melee focused, there are ways I could. There are things I could take Absolutely. that would make him better at melee or make him better at taking damage. For instance, um, I think it's armor of Agathis. At this level, can give me like an extra like. 50, 50 hit points or something. Oh, and when they knock it out, it does that much damage to everyone around me. Oh, no, you could create a pretty hefty melee warlock easily. I mean, Hexblade well, warlocks, things like that. They can become, you know, they can deal it out. You know? Yeah, yeah, but it's not even just that. Like, even if you're a mostly ranged warlock, you can still have a couple tricks. And they can be very effective. Like you can tank some damage as a warlock if you take the right if you take the right benefits and boons and stuff. You can also have a very effective fighter 
who's a ranged fighter. Absolutely. Fighters are great at ranged. And then you know what? When the enemy runs up on you, fine. You you, you drop your bow and you pull your shield and sword. And you go go and you go tank. You know. I've heard um, some of them are better than rangers at ranging. Hmm. Hmm. Apparently. Uh, well, you get that actually once you get those extra attacks at uh, at twenty. And the action surge, it starts getting really suspicious. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's like, like I'm just it's just a Gatling gun back here. <laughs> I mean, so like even no matter almost what class you pick in fifth edition, there's usually ways you the things you can pick shield and wizards. Tony's wizards constantly shield spell themselves out of trouble. Yeah, yeah, they're a ranged party, but you get up you get up close to this wizard shield spell, and he almost always saves them. And then I he just sculpts a fireball around himself. <laughs> round zero. Bye bye. Round zero fireball. Sculpt it around me and my friends. Roast marshmallow. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I am the wizard who is usually up front with, with the fighters. And I have been screamed at by my peers. They're like, what are you doing? I'm like, I got this. <laughs> you got tricks. I mean, don't I think worry. I brought a stick. It, it, yeah. as, as players, you know, as players get better at their characters, they'll usually figure out ways around the problem, which I think takes us to, to, to one last thing I want to discuss. Now, when you have a mostly ranged party, you tend to have some very obvious ways to exploit them. For example, bug, uh, bugbears, They're not bugbears, uh, umberholks. It is very easy if you have a ranged party, you stick them in a tunnel to have umberholks attack them from all sides and there is not going to be much ranged attacking going on. How often is do you think guys think it's okay to do that in this situation, to to, to spring the encounter that is really 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 anti ranged? I think it has to happen. I mean, you have to do it at some point where you put the fear of the gods in them and be like, hey, by the way, <laughs> there is one way you can go through. And it's this long narrow tunnel. Enjoy, because <laughs> those kind of situations happen. Yeah, I mean. So you just they're not going to no longer exist because that's how you build your party. But I would make it infrequent. It's like just like I want like a gotcha moment once in a while. It's nice. Like, ha ha. You guys did not see that coming. It can't be constant. Or you're like, ah, a surprise. Great. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's where is the adventure taking place? It's not it, it can't all be just on the Pelennor fields, like I said earlier. Yeah. You know, you, you're going to have to go down into crypts. You're going to have to be in dungeons. You're going to have to be in town halls, uh, city halls. You're going to have to be in uh, jails, prisons, like jails. You're <laughs> gonna, I mean, these are the places you're going to be where, you know, where it's not really going to matter. Um, but, yeah, so it's going to happen as the adventure leads it. Like your Umber Hulk thing is straight out of Woodstock. You use the Umber Hulk yeah. for us. And I will say – it was a really beast encounter because we very quickly realized that, you know, you're in the tunnel with these Umberhulks. They're pumping through the walls because, you know, you're down in the crypts, so you're, 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 you're under dark, almost whatever. And then they're unloading the confusion ability on you. And now you're starting to be pulled into you're actively walking down the tunnels they've just created off the main tunnel. So, you know, good luck with your bow. You know, like what, you know, so yeah, wherever the adventure is going to lead at some point, it's going to be disadvantageous for them. That's just what's going to happen. It, it ha kind of has to. Yeah. I mean, there's always that. Uh, and I guess the, the question, like, as far as like, how often do you do it is the real question. And I would say not too often, but having your back pocket, anything that springs up around them where they didn't say it is like kryptonite to a mostly ranged party. You know, I mean, it's bad for any party, but if your party is mostly ranged and all of a sudden you're surrounded by things bodying you up, that is a real problem for a ranged party. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. 
just look at the flip side, some of these Warriors have to run a preposterous distance, like we talked about, to, to body up with their, their opponent. It's going to happen, and it's going to suck. Yeah. But. Well, it's also just the flip side of your heavy melee party. And anytime they're in a room, forget about it. Your guys are toast because they're going to run up and just axe them hard, like really, really quickly, which has happened multiple times to me. Um, but yeah, it's just the, it's just the flip of that, but you put melee guys out on the fields and, uh, I guess I'll dash. So it, there's always going to be that give and take. There's always going to be that. I mean, every now and then your, your, your wrestler just picks up the bad guy and puts him through a table. That's going to happen. That's going to happen. <laughs> if, especially if you allow our special wrestling rules that you can catch on three wisedms.com in our wrestling article <laughs> I, i'm waiting for like vince mcmahon to like tag us on that and be like yeah uh, i mean like give us a little something a aew whoever somebody call us up man you know <laughs> but like you know if, if you would never give me an opportunity or super infrequently to wrestle with that character it would have sucked because i made a build and then I wanted to showcase that build, and you're like, nah, it's a pudding. Go ahead and wrestle a pudding. I'm like, oh, man. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Good luck with your melee fighting. <laughs> yeah, go, go elbow drop the orchard jelly. There you go. Yeah. All right, guys, we've been going on about this for a little while now. You know, why don't we get the final thoughts about all range parties and also just you know, what you think of, of DMing 5e combat, any tips or tricks you have that make it more interesting? I think that having a, a, a grouping like that makes the campaign interesting uh and it also kind of will sculpt how the, the whole campaign is actually going to go for example you have a bunch of high charisma characters you have the warlock the bard and a sorcerer well you know what this is probably gonna be a role play sort of game you see a lot of that this court intrigue you're gonna be using charisma to solve a lot of problems as well so to have a bearing of the challenge all the way across the game versus the party with three fighters and a barbarian so there's not going to be a lot of arcane checks and history checks being used to solve problems in with that group. At least most likely not. In these situations, too, with the map, you know, that's going to play – the battle map's going to play a more strong tactical bearing on things. Cover is going to be a factor. The specific distance is going to be a factor. So if you're going to be running this group, expect to be drawing a lot of maps. So I'd hate it. I'd be like, oh, my God, it's time to draw another map. Like, this is my least favorite thing in the world. But – if you don't do that, then, you know, at least make sure that they can still utilize the advantages they had or would have enjoyed through uh, the long combat. And lastly, diversify your encounters. So give them a chance to do those long range battles, have some medium range. And once in a while, yeah, like Dave said, you're going to be stuck in a crud and it's going to suck. Absolutely. I would say don't worry too much about it because the beauty of it, unless you're doing some sort of like one shot or you're bringing everybody in at level 10 or level 20 or level five, and that's where they're starting. But most campaigns are starting at level one. So regardless of the party, you got a completely balanced party. You got an all range party. You got an all melee party. It's not going to matter at level one because most of what you're going to throw at them is going to be dangerous, deadly and horrifying. And they're just going to hope to get to level two by the end of that session. So you have time to see how does this party react? What are their tactics? What do they like to do a lot? And then you can start to throw things in there to challenge that, to push back against that. Um, like we talked about earlier with the environment and terrain. Uh, we were just talking, where does the adventure lead? Because it's going to be big fields of battle. It's going to be small crypts. It's going to be a little room somewhere in somebody's house. 
you know, where the rogue got caught trying to steal it or whatever happens, right? The adventure is going to lead you to interesting encounters. Um, so I, I don't find it to be a problem, whatever the makeup of the party is, because there's always going to be another side to that. But especially in 5e, any class can do pretty much whatever they want to do. If they want to do melee, if they want to do range, they can find an avenue for that. So like kind of what Thorne was talking about. Yeah. So there you go. Yeah, and I would just basically second that, you know, it's uh, second what both of you have said. On the one hand, yeah, I don't think the DM needs to get involved if the party's all ranged. You don't need to say, no, I need you to have a, to have a shield bearer or something. Because you really, in 5th edition, you've got a lot of choices. They're going to get to optimize their, optimize their characters wherever they want. And you can throw stuff at them to show them what their weaknesses are that they can respond to when next time they level up. And so long as they're leveling up, they can keep changing their characters. And, you know, there's a lot of room for change. In fifth edition, a lot most, you know, you get to swap spells, you get to get new spells, you get to get new stuff, you know, and all that stuff helps them adjust to whatever shortcomings their party might have. So you can leave it to the players. DM doesn't have to get involved in optimizing the party. You can just leave that to the players to do. As far as, you know, kind of encounters that you want to build, I, I think, you know, like Tony was saying, you know, it, encounter variety is really important. You know, you're going to let them, sometimes you want to create encounters where they can just show off and, blow people up and just just blow people out from a distance or just snipe you know snipe all the guards from like a tree outside the castle (laughs) other times you want to have them in in a tight room where their range isn't so great and they're getting their ass kicked you know you want to have a bit of both because that also one it challenges the party and makes them come up with new ideas and two it shows them how you know it helps them think about okay what should I, you know, what do I want to take next? How do I want to optimize this character so I can kind of be a little more, so I can deal with all the things I'm seeing. You don't need to bend over backwards to just fight, to, to, to just give them encounters they can handle. You can still give them encounters they can't handle very well and just see how they respond to it. Uh, also, I think if you're going to have an all-range party, it hasn't really come up, but and someone who's a really, really good ranged or AOE bad guy who can basically oh. help the party with like you know, like one or two spells is probably a good thing to throw in there, yeah. you know. So they're not too comfortable being ranged all the time because they got somebody who's out there and better at range than they are. It's always a good idea to have someone with the party's tricks, a bit higher level and a bit better at them, just to just so the party has someone to chase. Yeah, absolutely. All right, Pan, thank you very much. It's a great question. Really, uh, really enjoyed going through it. And guys, thanks for stopping by and doing another episode of Three Wise DMs. Woo! Woo! Yeah. I will say I did like this question because we don't oftentimes talk about like mechanical stuff in a way. Like we talk, you know, yeah. more like higher, high, you know, high end view things, right? Yeah. Yeah, I like getting into the tactics sometimes. Well, I'm a very tactical DM though. So yeah, yeah. That's, that's that's fun for me. This question came from a listener who sent it in to us. If you're listening and you'd like us to answer your question, please send it in. We're always looking for reader questions to answer. You know, we're the podcast for DMs with problems. We're here to help you with your problems. So send in anything you want to hear us talk about. Send it in, and we'll see if we can work it into an episode. You can do that by going to 3wisedms.com and entering it in the What's Your Problem field. You can send it to us directly through email at 3wisedms at gmail.com, or you can talk to us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. We're active in all those channels. We're always looking for new questions. If you liked what you heard tonight, please give it a five-star rating in your podcast platform. That really helps us get the word out. Also, tell your friends. Share it on share it on Facebook or wherever, or wherever, you, uh, wherever you do your social media because that stuff helps us grow, and we really appreciate that. You know, audience growth is really important. Getting you know, listeners like you, you know, telling the world that they enjoy our show is really important, and that's the number one thing you can do to help us. So if you, if you feel like we're good, please 
don't be shy. Don't be shy about 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 sharing this. Stuff. And that's it for this week. We'll see you next time on Three Wise DM.